Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we are so blessed, Lord, to be able to sing worship to you, God. And Lord, I do thank you, Father. We know that for, for many, many, many years, Lord God, they didn't have amplification. They didn't have speakers and microphones and all that stuff. And yet, Lord, your, your congregation sang with abandoned abandon God. And so, Lord, I'm thankful, Father, that we get the same opportunity, that, Lord, that we're afforded the same opportunity, Lord, to just come before you and lay everything at your feet, to sing with abandon, Lord God, and, Lord, honestly, to just lay our lives before you and say, Lord, we abandon our own way, hoping, Lord God, and, and trusting that you're going to live through us and, and work through us, Lord God, and you are so faithful. That's exactly what you want to do. And so tonight, I pray, Lord God, as we look at your word, Father, as we dig through and continue to look at Ezekiel, God, would you open our eyes more clearly, Lord, to the things that you want us to see? Father, would you fill us, Lord God, with the sense of where we're at in history? Lord, as we study and we look back in history, Father, I pray, Lord, just as we know, we don't, uh, we want to learn history, Lord, so we don't repeat it. And so, God, I pray, Father, as we come right now, Lord God, to your word, Lord, would you help us to glean and learn and grow, Father, that we would be changed as a people, Lord God. Use us tonight. Use your word tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you guys, last week, you remember we went through three chapters. Well, tonight we're only getting through one. So, last week we went through three different chapters. We saw, you guys remember, God's grace in the face of his justice, right? God's grace in the face of his justice. What does that mean? Well, you guys, God is both simultaneously just and gracious, isn't he? And he's the only, the only one that can be that. <laughs> so you guys, he is simultaneously justice and simultaneously grace. And he's the only, he's the only one that can do that, right? We can be just. Our justice system aims to do the right thing, but we don't do it perfectly, do we? We try our best, but we can't do it perfectly. And some other person might look and say, wow, that wasn't very gracious. But with God, you can't say that. And we're seeing that time and time and time again. The whole book of Ezekiel is a picture of God's grace. You guys understand that? It's him years in advance talking through an exiled, you know, brand new prophet saying, hey, turn, stop going the direction you're going. And so tonight, we're going to continue to walk through that. But remember what he said at the end. He's like, listen, you know, Ezekiel's broken at the end of chapter 11. He's like, man, you know, God, are you just going to take us all out? You know, because he's just broken that, that God's laying these heavy, heavy things on the people. And God's like, no, no, you will be returned. There will be a remnant. There will be this group that I'm going to save. But you guys, tonight, we're going to get right back into it. And we're going to look again. And what is all these things? What are all these judgments and all these things, these portrayals of judgment? They're all opportunities, aren't they? They're all God's grace being poured out on a people saying, stop, turn. And yet they don't listen. And so tonight we're going to start looking at what is basically this next section of Ezekiel that goes from chapter 12 to chapter 24. And tonight we're going to start looking at this. And what, what is this section full of? It's full of objections from the people of Israel to God's judgment. And we're going to look at all various sorts of judgments, or I mean objections to these judgments as we progress forward through this. But tonight we're just going to look at chapter 12. And so we're going to start looking at this. And you're going to see that some of the stuff that they said um, to me, 
sounds pretty familiar to where we are today in the world. And so let's start chapter 12, verse 1, says this. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be, listen to this, you guys, it may be that they will consider though they are a rebellious house. By day, you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity. And at evening, you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity, dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight, you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground. For I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight and I bore them on my shoulders in their sight. So Ezekiel, we're told here, by God, it was told, hey, act out captivity. Act it out. Like, take the stuff out of your house, pack it up as if you were going cap- into captivity, and then literally walk out in front of everybody and act this out. And I want to stop for a second, you guys, because to be honest with you, when we look, especially at the modern church, A lot of times I'll hear people be like, well, Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. God wouldn't want to put you through that because that would be painful for you or that might be hard for you, right? Think about who Ezekiel is, you guys. This isn't God speaking to Jeremiah who is still living, you know, back in his homeland. This is speaking through Ezekiel who was already taken captive. Do you see the pain? The reminder that this would have been to not just Ezekiel, but everyone else that saw it, it would have been a painful reminder, wouldn't it have? And yet God chose to to use God. God chose to use Ezekiel to do this. He had already been through this pain in real life. And yet he was saying, go and act this out again. For who? For the people that are still back in, in Israel. For the people that were still back home. So what does that mean? What did that look like? I don't really know, you guys, right? We know that there was definitely communication happening, right? It's not like there was like no communication at all. So were people like that were in captivity, were they looking and hearing some of the stuff that Ezekiel was saying? And were they somehow relaying that back to relatives back home? Maybe. I don't know how that looked or what that looked like. The siege at this point in history hadn't started yet. Remember what we talked about? It's like five years away from this happening, from all this stuff happening. This is like a five-year uh, earlier time. So you guys think about this. There might've been a possibility of all that happening. Here's the other part though. Remember, everyone that went into exile, they also had things to repent of, didn't they? They were part of the people of Israel. And remember, we looked last week that the people of Israel looked at them as like, you're losers, right? Like you got taken away because God doesn't really love you. He loves us though. I mean, he kept us here, so obviously we're good, but you guys aren't. Remember, we looked at that last week, that that was kind of their idea, their thoughts. But here we have Ezekiel being told, act out this painful process that you've already walked through. 
You guys, do you see how God, even at this moment, was not done trying to woo them to repentance, trying to say, listen, you guys, is this painful to see? Yeah, you've already walked through it. Do you not see that I love you, that I'm trying to get your attention? Do you not see this? And any word that was making its way back to Jerusalem or back to Israel as a whole would have been an opportunity for them to be like, oh man, Ezekiel's doing this. We hear this guy, Jeremiah, talking too. Like, what is happening? Are we going to choose to listen to this or not? Look, why did, let's look at the process. He tells them to take them out by day. And then he says later, like at another point, look, whenever you go out, you're going to go out at twilight. You're going to dig a hole through the wall. I bet that made the Babylonians happy. (laughs) Hey, listen, God told me to, so just deal with it, right? They're taking a hole. <laughs> but God told him to do this. Why? Because he wanted him to demonstrate the desperate extent of the people of Jerusalem and what they would do to escape in the midst of this. Five years, guys, in advance of all this happening, here's Ezekiel being told, go and dig a hole through the wall to show them what's coming. Show them what's coming. And then he says, too, Walk with shame on your face. As you're to be taken into exile, you're just, you're not, you're going to be in shame. You're not going to see what's going on. You're not, you're not going to be aware of what's happening because you're going to be so wrapped up in your own mind and in the situation that you find yourself in that as of right now, this moment, you think isn't coming. You think isn't going to happen. Let's keep reading. Verse eight it says this. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, Has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are coming, who are among them. Say, I am assigned to you. And as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it though he shall die there. And I will scatter to every wind, all who are around him to help him and all his troops. And I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of their men from the sword, from famine and from pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles wherever they go. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. You guys, he's laying it out. You can't be more clear. And so God tells Ezekiel now, okay, they've been watching you day after day, walking in, coming in at twilight, doing it in the morning sometimes, and you keep acting this out, and they're asking you what's going on. And apparently Ezekiel was like, I haven't been told, so I'm just doing it, right? I mean, that's the way it seems. And so at some point, he's like, aren't they asking you? What are you doing? Tell them. And so he tells them, look, this is about the prince, and I want you guys there to read King because it's actually what it's talking about. And so it's talking about the current king, which at this point is King Zedekiah. And if you guys remember anything in in Kings, he is basically, he's it. (laughs) He's the guy that gets taken away. And so what were they doing it for? It was a sign to all them that remained there 
that would endure this. And it's saying that, listen, here's the reality. For Ezekiel and the people there, they already saw this as an absolute reality. They were already in exile. And I I need us to get our head around that. Because Ezekiel was talking to them, but his message was for them that were still there. And so I have to believe there was some communication happening at this point in history, right? And you had Jeremiah who was there doing that already. But isn't it interesting that God's already like, you guys are already in exile. You're not dead. You're fine, right? Like essentially God's like, I got you here. You're good, right? And we, we looked already at the fact that they were actually living by the river Chibar. It was actually a land that had wheat, that had plenty. And so all these like things that Ezekiel was doing was weird because they were not lacking in food for real. Not like the people in Jerusalem would be. Like God was taking care of them even in the midst of an exile. They were not doing horribly, right? The Babylonians weren't really like the Egyptians were to the Israelites where they pulled them in and they're like, man, you guys are slaves. It wasn't like that. They just kind of lived their lives and did their thing, right? But here we see there, he's given them a sign to the people that have not yet realized, listen, you're going you're going to be castaways, just like you view all the people that have already been taken into exile. You think you're special, but you're not, essentially, is what God's saying. And I want us to remember back to last week, to two weeks ago even, when we looked at all that, you remember when Ezekiel went in a vision and God picked him up by his little hairs and took him out to the temple and he saw, remember the first thing he saw when he landed at the east gate, the king's gate? He saw this idol that was set up to the king. He saw this idea that the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem specifically were like, man, we're good. We've got a good king. We've got everything well in hand. We got plenty of people telling us everything's all good. The no, there's not gonna be any problem. Everything's kosher. We don't need to listen to the freak Jeremiah that's telling us otherwise. They were relying on their government system. Sound familiar? Right? That is the stuff that Ezekiel was like, you guys, God is making it clear. Your king is not going to protect you. So how did all this really go down? Let's flip over to 2 Kings. I want you to see, do you remember what he said? He said, here in Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to spread a net over him and he shall be caught in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it. Well, let's look at what actually happened historically. 2 Kings chapter 25, starting in verse one, it says this. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, the Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You guys remember? They're the ones that broke through the wall. The Babylonians weren't breaking through the wall. They were breaking out from the inside. That's how much they wanted to get out. So there was a hole in the wall. The wall was broken through and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls which was by the king's garden. Even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city and the king went by way of the plain. 
But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. God, five years in advance, is saying, dude, you're going to be going to Babylon, and that's where you're going to die. But you'll never see it. And then we see historically, I mean, this is beyond coincidence, isn't it? Like only God would know that Nebuchadnezzar was going to do that thing. Only God would. And so you guys, here's Ezekiel, heartbroken, in exile, a priest that had just turned 30 years old a couple years prior, nowhere near his temple, can't do the job. God gives him a job, sitting by the river Chibar. And he's been faithful to do that job. And I want to stop for a second and realize, for all of us, you guys, are we open to the things that God might want us to do, even if it's a painful process? And I'm not here saying God's going to guarantee he's going to put you through something like this. That's not what I'm saying, right? I don't think every person was called to be Ezekiel. Ezekiel was called to be Ezekiel. But are we open to what God might want to do in our lives? Why do I say that? You guys, do you realize as believers, some of your past sins, some of the things in your life that you look upon and you're ashamed of might be the very thing that God says, you know what? That brother or that sister is going through a very similar circumstance and I want you to bring that out, to open up and say, man, I've been there. I've I've done the same stuff. You know, I've done it. And And I feel like, to be honest, far too often we're like, well, no, God would never ask me to do that. I mean, that's shameful. That's, uh, and I'm not saying he is. That's between you and the Lord. But are you open to what God might want to do? Because I can't imagine being Ezekiel and being like, wait, God, what do you want me to do? What I already actually did? Like this most shameful, horrible, horrendous thing being taken into captivity by another, by another country? That's what you want me to mimic and imitate in front of all these other people that are going to be like, are you serious right now? How dare you? And yet that's what he's calling them to do. And he was obedient and he did it. And so I feel like there might be something there for us to say, oh God, don't let anything from my past, don't let anything, Lord, be off limits to you in my own heart. Amen? So here... Ezekiel is also speaking to this fact that, listen, whenever the king comes out and whenever all these people start running out through this hole that they created from the inside, what did God say? I'm going to send out a sword after him. A lot of these people were not going to make it. A lot of these people were going to die. And so here's God saying, listen, through Ezekiel, listen, you know what all this means? You know why I'm digging a hole through the wall? Because that's exactly what your king is going to do. And that's exactly what people are going to do. Why? Because it is going to be that bad inside that dying outside would be better than staying in there. Guys, this was not an easy word. But at the end of it, what was the point of all of it? So that God could say, you know who I am. You know that I'm the Lord. 
you know that I'm the Lord. Verse 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. I'm so sorry. I keep laughing because every time I read that verse and I've been studying a lot this week and I, I can just imagine him like sitting there like, oh, 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 you know, and then drinking and being like, oh, oh. and it's like, thank God he has more to drink than he used to. Remember, he was only able to eat a little bit and drink a little bit. And this bread didn't have to be cooked over dung. So that's good. But like, again, remember and think about this. They are in a land of plenty. It would be like someone in the the middle of Nebraska eating corn on the cob and being like, and you're like, dude, there is like literally corn everywhere. Calm down. You'll be okay. That's kind of the image that's being portrayed here, right? And what did God say? Like, eat this with fear and trembling. Be like, show them that you're like, oh my gosh, this might be it. This might be all I have as you're eating it. And as you're drinking water, be that way. Verse 19, and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate And what? You shall know that I am the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel, like, eat your food and drink your water with fear and trembling. And although the people of Israel were choosing not to hear these prophetic voices from Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you guys, they were still speaking the truth to the inhabitants that remained in Israel. And it doesn't matter what you think it'll turn out like. That's what they're saying. Like, listen, it doesn't matter that you're listening to every other voice that's telling you it's all good and everything's fine, right? You guys remember we were looking at it like, we're the choice cuts of meat. We're the ones that are in this cauldron of protection. We're fine. God didn't like them and that's why they're gone. And he's like, it doesn't matter what you think. This is the reality. This is how it's gonna be. You're gonna eat like you've got nothing left because you will have nothing left. You're gonna drink water like it's the last drop because it will be the last drop. You guys, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I, I can't help but listen to Ezekiel's words. I cannot help it to not look out into this world around us and be like, Jesus loves you and wants you to come to know him. And people, just like in this time, didn't listen. They're like, no, it's all good, fellas. Everything's good. We've got, look, everything's great. I'm totally jumping ahead in my message. But you guys, do you not see it? You guys, they were going to eat it with fear and trembling. Why? Why? Because they would, at this point, whenever all that siege stuff was happening, when they're digging a hole from the inside out just to get out, they're literally saying, listen, there's no more food. There's no more water. Death is better right now than where I'm at. That might be my end, death. Exile is what I have to look forward to. Or you guys, starvation and violence within these walls. There's not a good end here. Exile is by far the best. And that's only if you're lucky enough, quote unquote right? That's only if God makes you part of that remnant. 
And now remember, I want us to remember back, God has already gone through and prophetically shown Ezekiel, look, I've sealed some of these people, right? I've sealed the people that are seeking after me and are heartbroken by all this sin. They're going to be part of that group. Do you guys see the clearest picture of Jesus through that, right? This idea of like salvation coming because of something that is beyond them, some angel that marked their forehead with the shape of a cross. It's pretty awesome. But for everyone else, they're thinking at this moment in history, everything's great. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all these people are like, it isn't great. And it doesn't matter what you think. This is the reality that you choose not to see. Verse 21. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, what is this proverb that the people, that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. So God is calling out these people for this false bravado that they had over this proverb that was being spoken freely in this day. The days are prolonged. What are they saying? You know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you guys keep yakking your mouth off and telling us all these bad things are coming, but I haven't seen anything happen yet. Nothing's happening. We're good. And all those other guys that are already taken away, well, we don't need to worry about them because they were a bunch of losers anyway, right? Like we're good. And so we're not seeing anything happening. Maybe some of the annoying people got taken away, but we seem to be totally fine. Every vision fails. What are they saying? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, shut your mouths. That's what they're saying. Everything you've said so far hasn't happened yet. So you're obviously wrong. That's what they're saying. What is the craziness that you're speaking? What about your visions? We haven't seen one bit of it come true yet. Basically, it was calling, that whole proverb was calling a true prophet of God an idiot. That's essentially what was happening. And you guys, what did God say? I'm going to lay this proverb to rest. After I come and do the things that I've told you time and time again, I'm going to do. And yes, I've been long suffering. And yes, I've been patient and waited. After a time, I'm going to, to shut your mouths because you're going to realize that the time has always been very near. And I'm going to do the things I say I'm going to do. And I will not be slack. The wrath of God is coming and it's going to be poured out. And he's saying there's going to be very few people that are left, right? He said the fulfillment of every vision, every vision that Jeremiah spoke, every vision that Ezekiel had, it's all going to be fulfilled. God was speaking through these two, we know for sure. But the truth is, you guys, there were many out their voices. And isn't it always like that? Think about it. Moses and Aaron, God uses Moses, right? That wasn't the part that God noticed. It was just like, yeah, we made snakes too. You're nothing special. Everything that God tried to do, the Egyptians were able to somehow magically do something, right? The enemy was able to kind of match it or mimic it, which is all the enemy can do. He's not capable of his own creation because he's a created being, right? So he only mimics. But every time he mimicked it, the people of Egypt and everybody else were like, yeah, see, you're nothing special. Like, that's, that's not true. Like, yeah, let my people go, whatever. Nobody wants to hear it. Until the final one. 
right? The Passover. When they lost all their firstborns. And that's finally whenever they were like, okay. And then the Red Sea splits and all this cool stuff that God did. And yet here we are and here they are being talked to the people of Israel through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel, through Daniel in Babylon, through all these different people and all the stuff that was happening. And yet there were verse 24. It says, for no more shall there be false, any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. He's talking about those false prophets. For I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. I will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, Look, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore. But the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord God. God was making it clear that his time of being long-suffering and waiting on them and, and, and pleading with them to come to a place of repentance, that it was past. He's done. He was going to pour out all that he had spoken. Why, you guys? Because he loved them. Do you see that? Again, mercy and justice in the same set of hands, like equally matched, something that only God can do in saying, I love you. I am long suffering. I'm trying to get you to wake up. I'm trying to see that you realize things. And yet at the same time, I am just, and I'm not going to let it continue because I love you enough to not let you walk in this blatant sin. I love you enough. And so even though these people were living for today, they were living for the moment, right? YOLO, you only live once, right? Like this idea of like, hey, we're good. Everything's good. Like, let's keep moving. Even though that was the place they were, even if they thought it was coming true, possibly, they didn't want to repent at the moment. Did you notice he said that? He's like, man, some people might even look and be like, eh, Sure, I, I think God's going to do that, but, but not for a long time. Kind of reminds you of Hezekiah, doesn't it? Hezekiah had a great king. Ask God for some more years. God gives them to him. He screws it all up. And then he's like, it's not going to happen in my life, right? Nope. Oh, we're good then. <laughs> and that's what God's saying here. He's like, no, it's happening in your lifetime. You're not going to escape it. And to be honest with you, it always bummed me out with Hezekiah because essentially it's like, oh, I made a mistake, but I don't care because my kids are going to have to deal with it. It's kind of messed up. It's a pretty self-centered view, isn't it? And yet this is exactly what they're saying. Ah, it's a long time off. I don't need to do this now, right? But what's God saying? Wake up. Wake up and do this now. Why? Because there will be a punishment that's coming that you can no longer avoid because you just won't wake up. And God, you guys, is sovereign. If there was any opportunity for them to come to him in repentance, do you think he wouldn't have allowed that? I guarantee he would have. He would have. So it's at this moment that I believe that he knows, look, these are the hearts that are already after me that I'm going to bring out in exile. And these are the hearts that will never change. And so that's how it's going to be. And you guys, I just got to say this. I don't think we're any different today than what we read about here. People are saying all the time, ah, Jesus has been coming back for 2,000 years, you morons. He's not back yet. We're fine. Have you guys ever heard that? 
People say it a lot. I can't believe in that. It's all garbage. Everything you guys say is happening never happens. People say stuff like that. Listen to this. There's people in the church that are even questioning the idea of what Jesus' return looks like or if he is going to return. Some people within the church feel that way. And to me, that's sad because I, listen, I'm not talking about people that have different views on eschatology. I'm talking about people that I've talked to, people that when I was in college literally said, yeah, I don't even know if the book of Revelation is really like so ethereal that we're just completely missing the point because it's been a long time and Jesus still isn't back. So maybe we've missed something. And I'm like, you know, I studied a lot of Greek and when I read this, it doesn't matter if it's in Greek, in English or whatever language you put it in, it pretty much is clear. Jesus is returning. (laughs) There's no getting around that. He's coming back. He's coming back, you guys. And the truth is, God is going to pour out his wrath during the tribulation years. That is a fact. It's a fact that I so firmly hold to. It is as firm in my heart as the fact that Jesus went and died on the cross and rose again for my sins. Like, it is that central to me. Because without that, guys, what hope is there? I mean, yeah, we can all die and go to heaven. There's still hope. I'm not acting like there's not, but listen, there is a hope in the fact that Christ is going to return, that even if we die and go to heaven, there's going to be a time when the earth is made new, when he's going to return and reign for a thousand years and it's going to be awesome, right? And then after that, like all this old garbage is going to go away and we're going to get new things. Like I hold on to that. I believe it. Do you? And so here's the truth I've got to ask us then. The truth is, you guys, I believe that with all my heart, and I know you guys do too. And so the the question I have for us is, are we, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, willing to suffer the humiliation in this world of being looked down upon, mocked, Maybe even really, really, really made, you know, people being really angry with you. Are you willing to say, no, this is real. And I don't care what you say. It's real. And I love you so much. I don't want to see you keep walking in the way you are. And if you think that Jesus isn't going to return for a long time, you need to get right now. Now. It's, there is no time to wait. Because God's word tells me clearly he's returning in the blink of an eye. And he's so gracious that even in that moment, I pray that the words that I speak to every person, if they don't accept Christ, that whenever the rapture happens, if that happens in our lifetime, which I believe it could happen right now, or right now, or right now, I'm, I'm like, I believe it's that imminent. I really do. And the reality is when that happens, I pray that every person that I've ever talked to or that you've talked to will say, oh man, Lamar told me that. Steve told me that, you know, everybody was talking about these things. This is the way it is. Man, I got to get to church. And I'm praying that we got people that are in the church that are like, man, I didn't believe this, but now I do. And I believe that will happen. Right? I've said it before. I think there are just as many saved Catholics as there are unsaved Protestants. (laughs) Because it's about a relationship with the Lord. It's not about what church you attend. But the reality is, you guys, and I just got to say this, Ezekiel put himself through some things that he felt like the Lord was telling him to do. And if, you, if, if we look at God's word, it makes it quite clear that we can say this, absolutely. I will say this 
at the very beginning, and I've had people come up to me like, so pastor, I don't know exactly what God's will for my life is. And the very first thing I say back to them, even though I know that they're talking about other things, I still go right back to the fact that we all know God's will is that we go out into this world, we tell people about Jesus, and we live a life that shines it out. Go tell, live. That is one thing I guarantee is God's will for you as a Christian. Are you willing to do it? Because the world is not going to get any easier. It's only going to get harder. It's only going to get more hard-hearted. It's only going to become more cynical. And you are only going to look more foolish in the world's eyes. But I promise you guys, it's worth every millisecond that you put into saying, God, you are bigger than all of this garbage. And God, I love you and this person enough to not shy away from speaking truth to them. And so here, God's saying to, through Ezekiel, listen, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And yet, you guys, there's still a bunch of chapters of Ezekiel left. So guess what Ezekiel's still doing? Turn. Wake up. Open your eyes. And you guys, until you die or until the rapture happens, that's exactly what I think it's our job to do too. Turn, wake up, repent, realize that you will never make it to heaven on your own. You need Jesus just as much as I do. And I'm not better than you. I just am a beggar that knows where the bread is. Come and eat. And I I just, I feel so drawn tonight to talk about this because I feel like it is such a picture of the world that we live in today. And so I want to re- finish up tonight, you guys, reading the final chapter of 2 Peter. So turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 3, because I believe this is exactly what God is saying to us today. I believe that what we're reading and what God was speaking to Ezekiel and Jeremiah in the days that they lived in is exactly what he's saying to us today. Go and tell them these things. Don't shy away. Don't worry about what people say. So chapter three, starting in verse one, it's 18 verses. You guys ready? It says this. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Does that sound familiar? For this, they will willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. What's he saying? God's done this before. Noah's flood was a real thing that really happened all over the world. I reserve one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. What does that mean? Does that mean that you guys, that he's calling us to live a perfect life? No, it means we're leaning into Jesus and relying on the blood of Christ to make us spotless. That when we stand before the Lord, we're like, man, yes, I messed up, Lord, but man, thank you for your, for your, for your sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. 15, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Does that sound familiar today? Yeah. We have a lot of so-called pastors that are saying a lot of wacky things. And I think that's only gonna get worse. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. You guys, as you go throughout the rest of your week, I would encourage you, Maybe even go back and read this chapter and just let it soak in. Here's Peter, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years removed from Ezekiel, saying essentially the same thing. Here's little old me standing up here hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years removed from Peter saying the same thing. And if the Lord tarries, you guys, hundreds and hundreds of years from now, someone else is gonna be saying the same thing because God's word never changes. It's the same today forever and forever, right? Because that's who God is and this is his word, so it's the same. God's word is not gonna change. It doesn't change. But I don't know that we have 100 years, you guys. I don't even know if we got 10. And so what are we gonna do in the meantime? I wanna be found spotless before him. And, I, and we all will because of Christ, but I, I want to be found diligent about the work that he's given me to do. And I want to do that regardless of what people think or say. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.